0: Welcome to My Name Is Not Steve, the podcast by storytellers about storytelling with people not named Steve.
1: Welcome to My Name Is Not Steve.
0: We are still Not Named Steve.
1: My name is Dorothea Bauer.
0: And I'm Pete Bauer.
1: And I'd like to take a moment. Yes. At the beginning of this podcast. Oh good, this is already starting off
0: off really well.
1: To apologize for how (laughs) grumpy I was in our last podcast. Yeah. I was in a very bad mood <laughs> you were. and it came across very clearly. Yeah. And so I feel like I owe our listeners an apology.
0: Yep. I, I w- apologize. I wish I could uh, <laughs> lessen the blow there, but no.
1: Well, dad, you never do.
0: You were, you were so grumpy. I was. You were like angry. We really shouldn't have bitter. recorded
1: the podcast that day. <laughs> if we're looking back on the situation... But on the upside, every time I have sounded like an idiot and every time I have said things that I probably shouldn't have said Mm -hmm. in a grumpy state Mm -hmm. are now on the Internet to be heard forever by everyone. (laughs) So that's
0: just lovely. (laughs) all, All you did was call your entire generation lazy, fat and uneducated.
1: That is not true. Yeah. I call them intellectually lazy. That's not the same.
0: All right. So, Dorothea, do you have an update? Since you did the intro, what's going on in your writing life? In
1: my writing life, yeah. absolutely nothing. I am still a workaholic <laughs> <That's> and <time. laughs> I have <Lessons> grown learned. <laughs> I have grown not at all as a person. Uh, so <laughs> Wow.
0: All right. Well, I guess I'll give an update then. Since well, you're really not. Since
1: we're promoting your books and this is your podcast well, we, you know, we on could. your website. I think that <laughs> it's reasonable no. to watch a talk about your writing.:
0: So one thing I tried to do this last month, Dorothea, is try to increase my productivity by decreasing the amount of time I've given myself to complete the project.
1: So it's like you're a college student procrastinating <laughs> yes. on papers, because when you have to write it the day before, you write better. That's true. That is actually is true. I know. <laughs> it's, it sounds really stupid, but it's actually accurate.
0: No, it is. There's actually been studies that, and this is just because our brains work better when they're focused, is that there's been studies that, that show that if you have less time to do something, because of that focus, you usually do a better job doing it. It's why we wait, like you said, until the weekend before the papers due to actually start writing.
1: Netflix has nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: The, this internet thing. Not yeah. at all. So I try to do that. I'm in the middle of rewriting the third novel. The third Gamby Wells novel, Sins and Suicide And I actually got this from the Creative Pen podcast Joanna Penn had a guest named Chandler Bolt And he was the one who talked about this. So I decided to kind of set an impossible standard to try to finish this draft, this final draft of the book before I go to beta readers by the end of the month. And actually, then I said, well, you know what? I need to even compress that even more because you and I have to do our internal edit when I'm done. We do. And then we send it to beta readers. So I actually wanted to get it done within 15 days.
1: How's it going?
0: I failed because it is the 20th day. But there were some reasons for that, which kind of tie into the topic today. But no, I haven't met it yet. I hope to finish soon. I probably will end up honestly getting done in a month. But that's better than taking two months or whatever, which I was struggling getting this third book done. So anyway, it has been a semi-successful exercise. I can talk more about that when I actually finish it. It is interesting because what ends up happening is that you just make it a priority. I mean, it's really simple in in the way it manifests itself. But like when I was at work, I'm like, man, I have to get like three, two to three chapters done a day to get this done in 15 days because it's about 30 chapters. So when I was at work during lunch, I'd go, well, I'm going to go work on a chapter and get a chapter done at lunch instead of, you know, taking a leisurely lunch. And that's just how you kind of the compressed time kind of makes it a priority for you. So It does help, but I had some other issues that I'll talk about um, that got in the way.
1: Well, and you doing this reminds me of when I was in high school. I had an econ paper to write, and the class was really hard, and I was having a hard time figuring out how I wanted to write the paper and tell the story that I was trying to tell. And so I wound up procrastinating until the night before it was due. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Not intentionally, I sat down at my computer with the intent to write multiple times over several weeks, but none of it sounded good and I would end up deleting the whole thing. And I remember the night before the paper was due, you came into my room and I'm sitting at my computer, staring at the screen, just thinking to myself, I I don't know what I'm going to write with this And this paper is a significant portion of my grade. So it's not like I can just not do the assignment. And you came in and you checked on me and you said, How's it going? And I looked at you and I, I said, I don't I don't know what to write for this paper. I don't I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say. And you just looked at me very plainly and you said, Well, you do not have a choice. So <laughs> the paper's due tomorrow. So figure it out. Just turn in something. So I think I stayed up writing until 5 AM. Mm. And getting quality that paper—those are quality <laughs> writing hours right there. And getting that paper done, I slept for about 15 minutes, mm. woke up again, did some more writing. I went to school that day, and my friend Katie, who's incredibly smart, was sitting next to me, and she's like, "Oh, did you finish your paper?" I said, "I, I definitely finished it. It's definitely done." <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, well, can I look at it?" And I said, "Sure. Why not? You're smarter than me. I'm sure you'll." You'll give me some last minute feedback. That'll be very helpful, which turned out to be true because my entire bibliography was inaccurate. It wasn't formatted correctly according to the teacher's specifications and my citations within the paper were wrong. It was a disaster. So I leave class, go to the lab, print out a new paper. One way or another, I wound up getting a B on the paper. So thank you, Katie.
0: Yeah, (laughs) She is really smart.
1: Whenever anyone says that there is no curve. It's Katie's fault. Yeah. yeah, She's
0: the one who broke the curve. <laughs> she's
1: the one who got the hundred.
0: I actually made a Super 8 movie in college called The Term Paper.
1: I know. That movie gives me anxiety.
0: It's about a guy <laughs> who wakes up and he's about to go to bed who realizes that his term paper is due the next day. And then there's a lot of things that go wrong, like he sets it on fire and things like that. So.
1: <laughs> Seriously, Dad, that movie gives me like... <laughs> Heart palpitations every time I see it.
0: there's something wrong with you
1: There is because it's fictional and you're sitting next to me while yeah. I watch it
0: yeah. But
1: I'm just like ah, what is it gonna happen? Like what's gonna happen? Oh, no fire. Yeah. Ah That's my reaction. It's yeah. ridiculous.
0: You know, my brother Paul um, is an analytical chemist and so He's always been a hell of a lot smarter than me and I had this idea of the guy smokes smoked cigarettes and he was drinking or something and spilled a beer or whatever. And then it ignites the cigarette, dropped on it, ignites it and lights the paper on fire. And I had this shot where I wanted the fire to come from like it's a low angle shot. So you see the kid. The kid working on the paper, this time it was a typewriter, and then the fire just crawls around the front of the table and then connects to his paper, and so we built this trough made out of aluminum foil, and my brother Paul got some pure alcohol from the lab at school, and so I'm like, all right, well, let's just do that in port, and Paul's like, well, you won't see it, and I'm like, why? And he's like, well, there's no impurities in it. (laughs) I'm like, all right, Mr. Chemist, I don't know what to do. What do I do? He's like, well, just add salt to it, because salt, you can see that burn. I never would have thought of that. So we, we had a fire extinguisher just in case things went bad. I and, would hope so. Yeah. And I thought, because this was in the apartment I was in school in. So anyway, I thought like, you know, we'd light it and then we'd say cut and then I'd blow it out. And so in the movie, you can actually see me try to blow it out and mouth the S word. <laughs> and go, Well, this, this isn't even close to going out. And so then we had a fire extinguisher, at, which was this um, like dust And it like went out, except there was one little part left, you know, that was still a flame and we stopped the the fire extinguisher and then it went went all the way across again. And then we only had a little fire extinguisher left and we got it out. But then the entire apartment was full of this dust and we had to take everything out of the apartment, wipe down the entire apartment and everything in it, and then bring it back in and then continue shooting. It was insane. (laughs) Anyway. I'm glad
1: you were not filming this solo. (laughs) Your apartment would have burned down. Yeah.
0: That would have been a movie.
1: That that would have been... Who played the teacher in that movie? Paul. Really?
0: Yeah. Well, he was this teacher's aide, yeah.
1: That's hilarious. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so back to today.
1: Yes. We're just talking about how procrastination is terrible when you've just said it's a strategy you're employing, so...
0: <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. One thing I did want to say before we got onto our main topic, which is about, by the way, Satan wanting to kick your butt. Mm-hmm. Okay. But before we get to that, I was listening to another podcast...
1: What are those? I know.
0: <laughs> this is an <laughs> ongoing joke that we have with each other. It was a podcast about writing, and they talked about the four character types that are common in successful stories. And what was interesting is I think we have all of them in Gabby Wells, even though it was unintentional. Because I, I'm, a self, I'm a self-learner, as they say, because I've taught myself this stuff, a lot of it is from instinct and, and reaction, but really not you know knowing the structure as well as I probably should. So let's go through these four character types and, and you tell me who in the Gabby Wells universe fits these four character types. Okay. Okay. The number one is the connector. The connector is always with people, relating to people, and brings people together.
1: Hmm. Brings people together. I, I'm not so sure about, but it's it's Gabby most likely.
0: Hmm. Maybe. I, I think actually they share these. Let me go through the others. I think the others are clear. That was the foggiest one for me too. The enthusiast, the one who is party- fun. <laughs> Who's that?
1: That's Emma.
0: That's Emma. The thinker, detail oriented, introverted.
1: That's Hamilton.
0: Yep. The commander, results oriented, in charge.
1: That's Gabby. Yeah. But it could also be Scott.
0: Right. So Scott and Gabby are kind of the mix of the connector and the commander put together.
1: Yeah. I would say that Scott is more of a connector than Gabby is. Scott. But that being said, Gabby's the main character in her story is what links all the characters together.
0: Yeah. I think Scott is the connector, um, and he's the moral commander for Gabby. And Gabby's mm-hmm. more the action, act first, think second sort of thing. So anyway, I found that really interesting that these known quantities of characters were already in our novel, So and it just seemed to work out that way. Whoop, whoop. So, so it looks like all that television watching has come in handy.
1: It has. I always have said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You've never denied that once. All right. So what I wanted to talk about today was the idea or concept that Satan wants to kick your butt. Now, the reason we want to talk about this. So obviously, if Satan's in this conversation, then the whole spiritual realm is in this conversation. So we kind of have to level set that idea of Satan wanting to kick your butt. The basic way to do this is you have to understand the spiritual war for souls. So in short order, it kind of goes like this. I'm not a theologian, but it kind of goes like this. God creates angels. They are spirit only. This is before he creates time. Angels are made with enough information to make one choice because they have free will. And they don't need to learn like us. So it's not like they could make a mistake. They are fully formed with enough information and intellect to make this choice. And the choice is simply, do they want to obey God? A third of them say no, and they get kicked out of heaven because the consequence of a mortal sin, a separation, a sin that separates you from God, is that you can't and should not be in the presence of him because it's really too painful for you to be in the presence of him when you've chosen that you don't want to be obedient, that you want to be separate from him. So God kicks out a third of the angels, the big one Lucifer, and so they're kicked out. Then time is created, then we're created, and because we're created in the image and likeness of God, Lucifer slash Satan and the other third of the angels that are also called demons now because they're fallen hate us because we are in the image and likeness of God, the same God that they rejected.
1: And because we have time, we have the chance to correct our lives. We have the chance to come back to God and they don't.
0: Right. But it also gives Satan time to try to trick us. If you understand that, then you also have to understand that God allows Satan into our life as he explains in the creation story and going forward. He allows Satan to tempt us because he wants us to make the right choice. We're not slaves. We have free will. And the consequence of free will is that we can make the wrong choice. So God allows temptation in our lives so that we can be holy by choice and be obedient and loving by choice. And the crux of that really comes down to whether you are going to be selfless or selfish. If you look at the seven deadly sins, they're all selfish. If you look at the seven holy virtues, which combat those, they're all selfless. So that's the real crux of the battle, the spiritual battle. The thing that people often confuse is that Satan isn't equal to God or even close to equal to God because he's a creation of God. It really brings into focus the idea that Satan is, and Jesus said this himself, which is a wolf, and we are sheep among wolves, right? Think about that analogy in its more practical sense. They're both God's creation. Some have strengths and some have weaknesses. The wolves are faster, smarter, cunning, ruthless. The sheep are docile, loving, obedient, right? But the wolf isn't equal to God, right? It's just another creation of God. So the thing here in the spiritual battle that we have is that Satan, during our time, in time, wants to do anything to not get us to heaven. There's a great phrase we heard a while ago which says Satan doesn't care how you don't get to heaven. He just doesn't want you to go to heaven.
1: That's a really, really powerful phrase to hear. I've heard it rephrased in a way that literally gave me chills. And it was rephrased in this way. Someone told me, Satan doesn't need you to fail. He just needs you to not succeed. Which I just think has more gravity than the other phrasing of that particular thought. And it's totally terrifying when you realize you don't have to colossally fail. You just have to not be following God.
0: Right, and that's why Jesus says, and again, this is all part of the spiritual battle, is that Jesus says that he is the only way to heaven because if he is truly part of the Trinity, he's truly God, and heaven is being in the presence of God, well, obviously, the only way to be in the presence of God is to be obedient and follow God to himself. So Satan will do anything and everything to get in the way. And the greatest thing that he does is lie. He's called a liar in the Bible. And so he doesn't have mass. He can't become human form. He can't impregnate people and have antichrist. He's purely spirit like any other angel. He can't do any of that. But he can make you think he can. He does a lot of these things through lying and all that other stuff to try to convince us that he's more of a threat than, than he is. Now, here's the deal, though. Demons, because they're angels, because they're spirit, because they're intellect, are a lot smarter than us. They are wolves compared to us being sheep. But that doesn't mean we're defenseless, and it doesn't mean that we don't have free will to avoid him. And that's where God comes in. So God is the shepherd in this analogy, and God will protect us from the wolves if we listen to his voice and we do what he says. So the spiritual battle that we all have, if you are a believer, is that Satan is going to try to trick you and tempt you. I've read a couple of books by exorcists about the process of exorcism and the demonic realm and the angelic realm and the spiritual realm. And there are a couple of things that bring this war to light. One exorcist said there are two spirits in the world. There are the Holy Spirit and the demonic spirit. And you're working for one or the other either purposely or not. But those are the only two choices you have. And another exorcist talked about how really powerless Satan is because we have free will. Like someone asked, well, what if you've sold your soul to Satan, so to speak? Well, that only exists until you decide it doesn't. Satan doesn't have any control over you. It only exists until you decide it doesn't. But then you have to defend yourself. Then you have to prepare yourself for future attacks. And that's where you would need the shepherd to protect you. And that shepherd protecting you does that through when you go to confession, when you ask for God's forgiveness, and you ask for his grace to protect you. It's kind of like the shepherd building a fence around the sheep.
1: Can I just take a quick sidebar? It's sure. It's relevant. We used to watch a lot of paranormal investigative shows.
0: Oh, good enough. I know where you're going. <laughs> this guy's a moron. And Go ahead.
1: There was one episode. I just found them interesting. But there is one episode where this gentleman called these paranormal investigators to his home. Yeah. Because he felt, and his wife felt, like they were being oppressed by demonic forces. Yes. <laughs> so the team starts investigating and they believe that there are demonic forces present in the house but they also think that the man is holding back that he's not telling them something that they really do need to know so they sit down with him again and they go look we're here to help you but if you don't tell us the truth we are not going to be able to do that and he's like alright well I mean you should probably know that in the past I've, I've dabbled with Satanism yeah and the look on the man's face the paranormal investigator's face like it was like he was trying not to burst into laughter <laughs> right. as he's like oh you you dabbled with satanism and and tell me was that successful for you oh yeah i got everything i wanted okay and uh and do you feel like you're being oppressed by demonic forces yeah yeah i think that's happening okay so they go through and what's worse is that he still had satanist paraphernalia in his house that he used Actively when he was a Satanist
0: that's like an arsonist playing with matches and then asking the fireman to come by and go You know, I think there's still some fires in my house And every time I light a match something new ignites I don't know what's going on
1: and they're just like well you have to get rid of this stuff first of all and you have to Which he was
0: reluctant to do he
1: was reluctant to do but the my very favorite part (laughs) is he's in his basement surrounded by Satanist paraphernalia and he's looking up, which, first of all, if you're talking to Satan, why you look up is beyond me.
0: <laughs> he's been confused but for a long time.
1: <laughs> he's, like, looking up at the ceiling of his basement going, he's like, yeah, well, you know, whoever's in here, uh, you you got to get out because uh, I believe in God now. <laughs> and I love that argument. I really do. I love when people say that demonic forces have to leave because they believe in God. Because the very interesting thing is that so do the demonic forces. Yeah. They yeah. believe in the presence of God. Believing in God and following God are two different things. But when we watched that episode, I think I literally shouted at the TV, who does he think kicked him out of heaven? Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> like, there was one that they're like, I don't know, we're seeing this black mass, this short little black mass, like in our in the corner of our eye, and we see it in our house, and we think you know it makes noises. And they're like, well, why do you think that's there? And it's like, oh, well, we're witches, and we did conjure one up. Okay, then. Now, honestly, we don't know what goes on in the paranormal side. We don't. And we don't... We don't promote that at all. I just find it entertaining. It is very entertaining. I just find it entertaining, but I'm very skeptical. Anyway, so the reason I'm bringing up this spiritual battle for souls is that it's tied to the Gabby Wells novel and the novel series. And this is what I mean. Anyone of faith, the more you grow in your faith, the more you'll see things that are tied to faith and how they affect and interact with things in your lives. The equivalent I use is that if if you had a pair of glasses that could see x-rays or gamma rays, and suddenly you saw how x-rays and gamma rays were affecting like a plant or something like that, you would go, well, obviously it's the gamma rays that are affecting that plant. And people without the glasses would go, that's stupid, it's just wind. What are you talking about? When you kind of understand your faith deeply and you start to understand this battle for souls, you do see, you start to connect the dots, I guess for lack of a better term, You don't know for sure but you could say gosh you know that could be an influence of some sort of bad bad influence it could be demonic and i'm not talking about like possession demonic i'm saying if there are just those influences holy and demonic again the lord allows these things in our lives so that we can make the right choice and he allows sometimes possessions and oppressions to occur because it could be the culmination of our own actions. Let's say we have we have separated ourselves from God through our sinfulness, and then we don't have his protection, and then we are oppressed because of that. It could be that. It could be that that, that challenge will bring you closer to God, or that challenge may bring other people closer to God. You don't really know, but he does allow that to happen. But more importantly, what he allows most of all is free will. When the angels said no, he could have just removed them from all existence, but he didn't. He loved them and he gave them somewhere else to go. When we are make a, a bad decision or if we choose to separate ourselves or not believe or whatever, then he's like, okay, but you can't be with me because that's your choice. And here's this place for you to go. Now, unfortunately it's populated with people that hate me and you are made my image and likeness. So they're going to kick your ass for eternity and that's up to you and them, you know, that's because of your choices. A lot of people think that is not merciful, but it is merciful because he's allowing us to make those choices. So if you understand all of that, that's kind of the, the basis, the construct of, of the spiritual battle for souls. And I've talked to a lot of different authors and other people involved in any sort of Christian mission work or any sort of promoting the faith. And they've all had issues where they felt like they were being attacked or oppressed by demonic forces if, and because they believe the battle's real. I even heard Jim Gaffigan and his wife talk about it. You know, where they they're they're Catholic and they go, yeah, you know, there's sometimes obstacles are just obstacles, and sometimes you get a hint that there's more to the obstacle than that.
1: Well, you've had an experience like that.
0: I did. It, partly it was my fault um, because I really hadn't gone to confession in a long time, and really felt like things were mocking me and kind of punishing me, and it was it was hard. I just asked for you guys to pray for me and. And I eventually got through it but it was was scary and difficult and when I talk to a lot of people who have gone through this kind of stuff what I find is that it's often right before they're going to do something and if you're a wolf among sheep and you see sheep's behavior very very clearly and you've been around for I don't know all of time and humans are really predictable then you're going to be able to predict when someone is about to do something that you don't like and if you're Satan it's something for God that's what he doesn't like So he can predict that through behavior. He can't see the future, but he can guess. And so I think that's when they really attack you is right at the beginning where you're not really sure if you're committed. If you're not really sure you really want to go through it, it's just a germ of an idea in your mind. And then he tries to kick your ass because he wants you not to do it. He doesn't care how you don't get to heaven. He doesn't want you to do it for yourself, for God, and he doesn't want you to help anyone else get to heaven either.
1: Well, and when you're having those experiences, honestly, one of the worst things that can happen is for you to stop feeling like you're being oppressed when you haven't done anything for God yet. Because when that happens, when that has happened to me, I felt like I really must have let God down if Satan's leaving me alone now.
0: Well, yeah, and all Satan done is has stopped forward momentum, right? He's put the brakes on. You still are heading in the same direction, but until you hit the gas, he's going to leave you alone because you're not going anywhere, you know? And so, this is even in the Bible, and there's a really interesting example that, because I remember hearing this in Mass over and over and over again, and I never really thought about it. There's an interesting idea and discussion about what was Satan doing when Jesus was on Earth. Did he know who Jesus was? Yeah, probably, because he was kicking out demons and they all called him by his name. But did he know why he was there? Probably not. And if you're Catholic, you understand that he's there to do two things, to establish his church and to establish his physical presence forever through the Eucharist. So if you're Satan and you know you can't get to Jesus, the first person you're going to get is who? Peter. Right, because Peter's the head of the disciples. When Jesus says that he's going to go to Jerusalem and get crucified and died and resurrect, Peter like says, hey, you know, if you know that, don't go. Why would you go? And he says, get behind thee, Satan. And what's interesting, in one of the Gospels, he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat couple of things about that. First, Satan had to ask, right?
1: Well, Satan had to ask in the book of Job, too.
0: Right. So Satan, again, when you want to know the power, where the power structure is, he had to ask. He's like, well, I can't touch God, right? But I can touch the number one guy. And I want to sift you like wheat, which is not a pleasant thing, right? I want to rip you to shreds. I want to, like, literally cut you into little, little pieces. And then Jesus says, but, you know, Peter, I prayed for you. And when you've gone through your struggle, the denial piece, You know, you need to be there for your fellow brothers here. If Satan's going to do that with Peter, and Peter was just a guy, just like you're a guy or a girl, he's going to do it for us. And so that struggle is palatable for believers. And so I purposely put that in this book series because in my mind, if you're going to enter that sphere in the book, if you're going to actually go down the hole, there's a spiritual part to this book, then you have to attach the spiritual warfare to it. That's part of it. You can't separate one from the other, because the end result of a spiritual journey is to get to heaven, and obviously there's going to be opposition for you going there. And the way I'm trying to handle it in the Gabby Wells novels is that Gabby, as she understands her faith more, and early on in the book, she really isn't sure what she wants to do with her faith, because she's grown up with it, but she really doesn't understand it. And the more she understands it, the more she starts to see the connecting dots, just like anyone who really understands their faith. And they start to see influences that may or may not be demonic or may or may not be evilly influenced. And then the more she sees, it's like the, the deeper she gets, the more glasses she gets to put on. And because of that, her investigations, the tasks that God has her do, have a more spiritual nature to them. So the farther she gets into this book series, the farther she goes away from just a practical sort of mystery to solve to a mystery with far greater weight because she's spiritually and mentally prepared to attack that. And one of the reasons that Gabby has struggles in the first novel is because even though she says, yeah, I'll do it, she is not prepared to do it. And so a lot of her struggles are simply because of that. She was not mentally or spiritually prepared to attack what was actually facing her because she didn't recognize what was facing her. The reason I want to bring that up because I hear this a lot from people who who are devout Christians. And to put that into a book series, I needed to add that layer to it as well.
1: Well, and if I've learned anything from the Bible, and I think it's something you're going to try and portray in Gabby's story as well through this series, is that God is going to ask you to give him everything. He's going to ask you to give every single part of you, and you are not going to want to do that.
0: Yeah, there's some parts of you you don't want to give up.
1: I am am not extroverted at all. I am... I am very no. introverted When and, did this happen? and very private, which is why things like this make me incredibly uncomfortable. Oh. At the end of the day, you have to do what you feel like God wants you to do. So keeping in mind that I'm very, very introverted and ridiculously private, I think my mother once described me as a closed book in a locked trunk at the bottom of the ocean. Yes. Um, there was a time when I was in high school when I was in church and I was praying and I was looking around me and people were dressed so poorly. They were wearing flip-flops and cutoffs. They looked like they were going to the beach. There was a man who came in with a dirty old bleach-stained shirt, and I was just furious. I was so angry. And that caught me off guard because I actually really didn't care that much. I mean, I probably should have cared more than I did, but I didn't understand why I was getting so angry about the way that other people were dressing. And I realized, I'm like, this is probably not my anger that I'm experiencing. And right immediately after that, I had this instant knowledge that God wanted me to start wearing a chapel veil to church. Now, as someone who doesn't like to be the center of attention at all, in any way, shape, or form, I was not entirely looking forward to the prospect of wearing a veil. But I was like, all right, God, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll wear a veil. It's a piece of cloth on my head. It's not going to be the end of the world.
0: So you thought. <laughs>
1: And I would go and I started wearing a veil to mass and people would stare at me like they thought I couldn't see them. Like, they would look at me and just stare, sometimes viciously, like, how dare you wear a veil to church? And I'm like, you know, this is not like, it's not made of steel. I can see you staring at me.
0: But then it got better.
1: But then it got better because <laughs> I... uh I technically am, am a singer. I, I can sing. I'm capable of it.
0: You're very good.
1: And But I get really nervous when singing. So I'm a member of the choir at my church, but I was always just a member of the choir. I liked being part of a group. I liked not being the center of attention. I liked that we sat at the back of the church and no one was paying attention to you. It was lovely because you get to use your gifts to honor God without actually having to be the face of anything. Right. But then you told me that I should audition to be a cantor and I said no they're not even holding auditions to be cantors like if God wants me to be a cantor then he'll make it obvious well
0: <laughs> wow don't ever say that
1: <laughs> a week later literally the next time I went into choir practice they're like okay so we're having auditions for new cantors like, this God is, is so fantastic. subtle he's so subtle so now I canter on the altar in a veil
0: yeah and I watched you and you were beautiful and you were wonderful <laughs> But I watched you up there going, oh, she's going through like what Moses went through, which is I'm a stutterer who's now a spokesman. And you're like, I'm a shy introvert wearing a veil in front of everyone singing. It's great. Yeah. But being a believer means, one, you have to be obedient. And it doesn't mean that's easy. Right. And, And part of Gabby's struggle is that it isn't easy. And she doesn't want to go through the suffering that you have to go through. If you're gonna be obedient because there's a lot of forces that are getting in the way I mean there's been plenty of times where I had crisis of faith I think everyone will if they are a believer there was one time where I was really frustrated remember we were trying to do the book covers the first set of book covers Mm -hmm. and I was trying to force that issue and one thing I've learned is that when I'm doing what God wants me to do it feels like momentum it feels like your your wind is at your back so I was trying to force the issue because I was unsatisfied because I was impatient and so one night I had on my movie room wall in our, in our previous house, I had all the posters, whenever I'd write a script, I'd make a poster to kind of inspire me to try to make it a movie at some point. It was a lot of stuff that I had hoped to do and I was so mad and frustrated because I was trying to do this and God kept getting in the way. And so finally, you guys went to bed and I just tore everything off my walls and I'm like, fine, God, all this stuff is, represents me. This is what I want. What do you want? If you want something on this wall, you put it up here. But I'm not putting anything up on these walls until you put it up there yourself. I wasn't happy about it (laughs) at all. It's so funny because your mother got up the next morning and she walked into the room and she's like, are we moving? (laughs) Because the room was like barren. I'd stripped everything off the walls. But I did realize that all that stuff was what I wanted to do. And instead of asking what God wanted me to do, the things I started to put on my wall are the book covers for these books you know, because that's what God wanted me to do. And when I started to do this and I started to write these books, I've had so many times where God said, yeah, no, stop doing that and go do this. So I'm always like kind of wary a little bit of when I start down a process, because I'm like, God, at any point could just simply say, okay, stop doing that. I was going for a walk. I was listening to something and I was like, oh, this worked out really well. And I was like, oh my gosh, that means God wants me to do that. It was a push forward. It was an overtly push forward it was a very large deal at the beginning of this process and i was like oh my gosh this wouldn't have happened because it didn't happen by my will or my way or my ability but a a door opened that never should have opened and the the reason it opened is because i'm heading in the right direction so that gave me a lot of confidence but there's a constant struggle satan may attack you overtly you know but more than likely he's just going to attack your fears i've had a lot of health issues now I've talked to people and I've said, listen, since I started this book series, I've had three major surgeries, one of which almost killed me, and I have to have another one. People say, well, that's just Satan attacking you. I'm like, I don't know. It's, I've had a chronic illness. But it doesn't mean that during those cycles, Satan isn't trying to get under my skin, isn't trying to cause greater doubt or fear or whatever. I know other people that have, once they've started down this path at that really early phase, they have a lot of health issues or a lot of challenges. The point is, is that you just never give up because at the end of the day, Satan really doesn't have any power over you. He only has as much power as God allows, and you can protect yourself from that. But it is a battle. It is constant. It's why St. Paul talks about wearing the armor of God. There is a war going on, and you have to fight it. So you have to be prepared to fight it. So it is important, and I love adding that to the Gabby Wells storyline. It'll become a larger issue in the later storylines. But overall, I think it's an awesome, awesome, dramatic effect to add to a book series. Because, again, I don't think you can talk about a spiritual journey of any sort without talking about the temptations and the attacks on that spiritual journey. It's not a one-way street sort of thing. But it is those high consequences that hopefully make the story really interesting. Hopefully. Hopefully,
1: (laughs) I I think the story is really interesting. I think if people stick through and read it till the end, it's going to be a really cool story to watch unfold.
0: Yeah, I will say this. I'm writing a third novel right now, and it's a it's a much lighter. Well, I mean, it's still a Gabby Wells thriller. (laughs) So light is a relative term, but it is it is a lot lighter than a lot of other stories that go on. And that's kind of fun because it's a little more playful. Um, one of the bad guys is, is a lot more charming and, and fun and kind of scummy at the same time. So that's kind of fun. But anyway, it's, her journey is pretty awesome. And I think that if people do go through it, it's it's going to be very rewarding. And and hopefully the end result is that either people who are of faith will enjoy the journey because they recognize the struggle, and those people not of faith will enjoy it because it includes the struggle. Hopefully that will be the case. So the end result here, Dorothea, is What?
1: Satan's always trying to get you down.
0: He is a bummer, man. Mm -hmm. He's a downer. All right, Dorothea, so...
1: Recommendation time. I think it's
0: recommend... I think we should recommend something.
1: I do, too. I would recommend we do that.
0: (laughs) Good choice. Thank you. All right, so... What do you have to recommend?
1: I am going to recommend a movie that highlights why privacy is such a beautiful thing. (laughs)
0: So taps run right into your inherent <laughs> like personality and fears
1: yes and that is a hitchcock classic the man who knew too much
0: why why does that tap into your fears
1: because if he i can't say that without giving away the story
0: the movie starts off with jimmy stewart and doris day and their son on a trip and i think they're in morocco or near the french morocco or something and this one guy this frenchman starts talking to them and asking them all these questions and jimmy stewart's just very open and saying oh i'm a I'm a doctor from Indianapolis and had these patients and blah, 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 blah. And Doris Day, the whole time is you <laughs> in this situation. Because Doris Day is looking at him like, and she starts seeing, gosh, we're the only one giving information. So she starts adding little questions herself. Like, what do you do for a living? And why are you here? And he gives really vague answers. And and after that scene, they leave and the wife's really upset with Jimmy Stewart. And he's like, what's the big deal? And she's like, you don't know anything about him. And he knows everything about you. And, and you were like, yes.
1: That's exactly the point. (laughs) Well, people could just be polite to me, too, and I'd be like, what do you want from me? That's
0: something (laughs) wrong.
1: There is. There's something wrong with me.
0: All right. Well, my recommendation, Dorothea, is actually one of the books by The Exorcists that I've been reading. This book in particular is called An Exorcist Tells His Story. So you kind of know what's going to happen here.
1: I don't. I don't. I don't know. (laughs) What? That's not descriptive.
0: I know. It's Father Gabriel Amorth.
1: Oh, I've heard of him.
0: Yes. And he has conducted over 70,000 exorcisms. Now, that number comes from you could have multiple exorcisms with one person because oftentimes it takes a while. Mm -hmm. But so each event would count on its own. It's not 70,000 people. He's done over 70,000 exorcisms. And actually, Pope Francis has added a lot more exorcists to the church. They were they were small there for a while. But it's a, apparently they're important. a very big issue. I mean, the more you read from these guys themselves, we never hear how often they're called. But they said in today's society, they are called all the time. If you don't believe that there's a spiritual war going on, well, a lot of people are actually feeling it to the point that they need help. and they And he does a really good job explaining in this book The need for all of the psychological work to be done first so you want to make sure they're not nuts right they're not legitimately have mental disorders and so he's all about that we need to rule that out because at some point then other things start to happen that no psychologist can explain and then that's when they go in so there's a lot of of stuff going on behind the scenes with exorcists that we'd never know about but it's much more common now exorcisms than than it's been in a very long time so check out the book so, Dorothea, this is season two. Yes, it is. Episode four. Excellent. Yeah, we're trying out some things here. We're trying out different types of topics. We're trying to different ways to present our podcast. We'd really like to know if you like it. <laughs> We'd really like to know if anyone's even listening. Let's be honest. I mean, we we know we have the three people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, who's the third? Well, th- that's the general um, <laughs> hope. <laughs> like, there's two people we know. Yes, absolutely. And then there's one that stumbles upon us. Okay. Yeah. So there's three, at least. So we're just trying out different things. So let us know if you'd like us to focus on one thing more than others.
1: If you have questions or specific topics that you'd like us to discuss, please submit them. We'd be happy to communicate with you.
0: Yep. You can contact us at Pete at PeteBauerBooks.com. That's B-A-U-E-R. Yes, yes. Pete at PeteBauerBooks.com or... You can comment in the comment section. Really? Yeah, appropriately named. And you can rate us on iTunes if you like us.
1: Yeah, if you don't like us, yeah, just, really, just, just walk on just by. Just keep on going.
0: <laughs> Smile and wave, boys. All right, Dorothea, so that's yes, it. Yes, Father. Were you satisfied with this episode?
1: I think it was very compelling.
0: Compelling. Mm-hmm. Ooh. 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 I don't think ah. we've been compelling yet. So that's good. Well, the
1: topic was compelling. (laughs) I I don't know if we were.
0: I don't want to commit that we were actually compelling. But the topic itself may have been compelling to some people at some time for some reason. Excellent. And I am completely committed to that statement. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us. Yep. We'll see you guys next time.